New Testament reading today is from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 19. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in him, who is the head of every ruler and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision, by putting off the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him. When he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands, he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink or of observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, dwelling on visions, puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands before they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever speaks evil of father or mother must surely die. But you say that whoever tells father or mother, Whatever support you might have had from me is given to God, then that person need not honor the father. So for the sake of your tradition, you make void the word of God. You hypocrites! Isaiah prophesied rightly about you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrine. Then he called the crowd to him and said to them, Listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but it is what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Do not see that whatever goes into the mouth, enters the stomach, and goes out into the sewer. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. 
you pray with me? God, we give you thanks for this joyful day and the beautiful occasion of celebrating baptism. And in a little bit, we'll celebrate uh, the beautiful occasion of a bunch of kids coming to the communion table for the first time. And it's a joyful day. And we pray that you would meet us this morning as we sit with your scriptures and that you would awaken us to your love and to your presence. And we do pray that the words of my mouth, that the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. You are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So uh, this summer, we've been going through this, uh, this sermon series that we're calling The Ties That Bind Us, as we are practicing coming back together in the post-COVID world, or quasi-post-COVID world, and, and also as we're practicing coming together for the first time as this newly merged church, Resurrection Philadelphia. And so we're doing this series really as a way to help us as we, as we begin to do this, and as we come back together, that we would focus our attention and our energy on the things that are most important, those beliefs and those practices that are central to life in the body of Christ. And we've been recalling each week this idea from St. Augustine, right, that what makes a people a people is their agreement to share the things they love. And so we've been reflecting on, our, on these questions of what is it that we love and what does our agreement to share our love look like in practice as a church. And so far through the, through the series, we've considered uh, some of the, the main revelations about God that we encounter in Christ. We've, we've talked about Trinity, Christ, Spirit. And then today, we're turning our attention to the practice of baptism, which is a great one to do today because we just did one. Um, and it's, it's a wonderful uh, opportunity to give a little bit more space in our gathered life to reflecting on what is this practice? What's it all about? And why is it so central to the life of the church? Because baptism is one of two sacraments, as we call them in, in our theological tradition, uh, recognizing uh, two practices that Jesus himself gave for all of his followers to practice. And they are not just practices that we do as a way of remembering Jesus, but we believe they're actually conduits of God's gracious activity in our lives, that God actually does something through the sacraments as we practice them. And so we believe that as we practice baptism and the other sacrament, the communion feast that we do every week, we're not only doing something in remembrance of Christ, it's certainly that, not less than that, but we believe there's something more than that, something actually mysterious that's happening as the Spirit of God works through this special practice to bless it and actually make it effective in our lives, effective in the life of the baptized and effective in the life of those who come to the table of the Lord to feed and drink upon Christ. And so today we're thinking of baptism specifically, not the sacraments in general. But as we think about baptism and this practice, um, theologians have often called the sacraments a sign and a seal of God's promise or God's covenant of grace, to use a big old word. Uh, but the sign part is essentially like it's a visible picture, like a word picture or an actual enacted picture of God's grace to us, right? That the water is something you can see and can feel. And that as surely as the person is marked with water, so surely are they participants in God's family and grace. 
But there's also this other element, not just a sign, but a seal, which if you go back to like Reformation days, when they talk about a seal, what that means is like the wax seal on a document, the way an official document would carry a wax seal on it that would indicate this one's authentic. It would be marked by its sender as an authentic document. And so I think of the, the, the sign of baptism as a seal of God's promise is to think of it as your baptism is God's own mark on you as one who is authentically joined to Christ and made a beneficiary of his family, of his kingdom, of the inheritance that is yours in Christ as a child of God, a sign and a seal. So baptism is this picture of what God has done and is doing in Jesus and his spirit. It's also more than a picture. It's this conduit or a pipeline of God's gracious activity. And it's one that connects us to both Jesus, if you wanna think about it like a vertical connection to Jesus and a horizontal connection to the other people who are connected to Jesus, right? It connects us to Christ. It connects us to Christ's people. But it doesn't do this just automatically or mechanically. We believe that God does this as the dynamic work of the Spirit is operative in and through it all, mysteriously, powerfully, and in a very living and active kind of way, that by faith and the activity of the Spirit, we are actually and really connected to God in Christ through baptism, and connected to the church, the family of God, the community of the baptized. And so just let's think about this a little bit. What does it mean that baptism connects us to Jesus? And one thing I think that's really helpful for us to live with as we just go through life, our daily life, is to just remember that we are bearers of the mark of Christ, that we live our daily lives. If you're a baptized follower of Christ, you live your daily life under the same banner of love that Jesus lived under for his own life. If you remember that scene from his own baptism where Jesus was in the water with John, what happened? The skies opened, right? And the voice of the Father was audible over Jesus. This is my Son in whom I'm pleased, right? And the Spirit descended like a dove upon Jesus. And what our own baptism means for us what Marcus's baptism means for him, as we think about what just happened today, is that what is true of Jesus in his baptism becomes true of us in ours, because we are baptized into Christ. That same voice of the Father that was pronounced over his life is pronounced over yours, over mine. You are my child. You belong to me. I delight in you. I'm pleased with you. And in the same spirit that came upon Jesus that anointed him to be Messiah and empowered his life and his calling, that same spirit comes upon you and empowers you to live that life of love and obedience in Christ. What else does it mean? It also means, as we see in this passage from Colossians that we just read and elsewhere, like in Romans chapter six, that to be baptized into Christ is to be united to Jesus in his death and resurrection. There's something about baptism that's about dying and rising with Christ. There's something about this mark of baptism and this work, this practice that Jesus has given his church that is to make it to where we understand that we are connected to Jesus in solidarity with him in his dying and in his rising. Buried with him in baptism and raised with him through faith, as the Apostle Paul says in the passage we just read.
something deeply mysterious about living in union and communion with Jesus as those who are baptized into him. But then let's think also, what does it mean that baptism connects us to the family of Jesus? This is important too, right? It's that same spirit that descended upon Jesus at his baptism to anoint him as Messiah that came at Pentecost, right? To anoint the church as his body in the earth. That same spirit we trust comes upon us even as individuals, as participants in that community. And we are marked with that water that symbolizes that descending dove, that enlivening spirit, the washing of water, the descending of the dove, the union with Christ crucified and raised that joins us also horizontally to all the others who are in Christ. And Paul describes it as this new kind of circumcision. Sort of weird language if you're not coming from religious circles. Circumcision is sort of a weird topic to come up in regular parlance, but it's, uh, it's a very familiar one in, in religious circles because it's the sign given to the family of Abraham long, long ago, right? God gave Abraham the sign of circumcision to mark all the males of his family with this mark as the sign that they belong to the family that God has set apart to be his instrument of blessing in the world. And so that mark of circumcision became really, really important in the life of the Israelites and then on in the life of the Jewish people as the mark of God's blessed family, a mark of belonging. Well, Jesus, when he comes on the scene, he comes to do a new work and he actually gives a new sign that belongs to a new creation family, the new humanity that God is gathering together around Jesus. And he's saying, you know what? There's a new mark that fits this new work God is doing. A new circumcision that goes deeper than the skin, but one that marks you actually at the level of the heart. A mark that the prophets looked forward to when they were talking about the removal of the heart of stone and a bringing forth of a heart of flesh or the circumcision of the heart that would come when the spirit would be upon all of God's people. It's this moment that those of old look forward to and Jesus says, that's the day that has come in me and there's a new mark that I'm giving to mark you as a participant in that reality, as one who belongs to this new family of God. As we saw last week, this idea that the Apostle Paul wrote to the people in Ephesus, that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. When we're baptized into this union and communion with Jesus and Jesus's people, we're baptized into a unity of belonging with all the church of Jesus, which means something really interesting and powerful and mysterious and beautiful. You and I are joined spiritually and inseparably to the saints who've gone before us, to the saints around the world today, people who look and sound a lot different than you or I do, the global church of Jesus. And we're joined to those who would come after us, that there's one big family. And this is what we confess when we confess the creed and talk about the communion of saints, that we belong to a family that transcends our own moment and our own location, that we're actually connected to people who've gone before us. We're connected to people across the world from us. We're connected to people across ideological divisions from us. We're connected to people across the city from us that we don't talk to. There's a baptismal unity in the body of Christ that is beautiful. And part of what living into our unity of belonging looks like is our aspiring to actually practice that which feels so abstract. 
our belonging to Jesus and his global church, that we actually live out on the ground in our daily lives a practiced unity of belonging in all the community of the baptized, that we would pray for one another, that we would actually recognize one another as saints set apart by the love and blessing of God and the washing with water. There's a unity of belonging, but there's also a unity of mission into which we're baptized, which is not to say God baptizes all of our various missions, right? all the weird agendas we come up with or that people come up with and and talk about in the name of Christ. It's not to say that God puts his holy blessing on every idea we come up with or every idea every group comes up with at all, but rather it's to say that our baptism is an invitation for us or even a summons for us to join God in God's mission of bringing life to the world through blessing, through peacemaking, through loving God and loving neighbor this mission that we see Jesus embody in his own life and invite others to join him in, becoming what Dallas Willard calls co-conspirators with God in blessing the earth. Following the Spirit's guidance, empowered by the Spirit's presence, we're baptized into this unity of vocation with all the church of Jesus. Michael Green says that the whole of the Christian life in time and in eternity is, in a sense, encapsulated in baptism, The Christian life is a baptismal life, and it is all about dying and rising with Christ in this world and hereafter. In the reading that we just read from Colossians, the Apostle Paul writes, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. In other words, continue in the same way that you began, And then Paul goes on to describe how it is that they began, right? When you were buried with him in in baptism and raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. See, Paul sees baptism as this pivotal moment in which a person receives all that God has done in Christ and is received into the community that is committed to participating in this new life that God has created in Jesus. And so Paul instructs the Colossians to continue living in the same manner as they began, to remember their baptism, if you will, in their daily lives, and to let that reality of their baptism into Christ's death and into Christ's risen life shape what they do, shape what they think and what they say. And he gives these three instructions. He says, don't let anybody take you captive. He says, don't let anyone condemn you. And don't let anyone disqualify you. Don't let anyone take you captive. He's talking about ideas and life philosophies or traditions that compete with the story of Christ for captivating our imagination and compelling our choices. Or he says, don't let anyone condemn you. You know, according to the religious or cultural or ethical standards that speak a different word over your life than the indisputable verdict that God has pronounced over you as vindicated, in the vindicated Son of God. Jesus Christ, crucified, raised, victorious. Paul reminds the Colossians, as he reminded the Romans, that there is no condemnation for you anymore because of the victory and vindication of Jesus. Those are yours forever. And as surely as you are marked with the waters of baptism, you receive by faith all that God has done for you in Christ. He says, don't let anyone disqualify you 
That is, don't let anyone add all sorts of requirements to the list of what you need to be okay with God. Jesus is everything. All the fullness of God dwells in him bodily, Paul says. He's the head and the life source of the body. You can't generate his life without him, nor can you snuff out his life-giving presence by failing to measure up to some artificial standard that somebody made up. He has you. He has you. Remember that and live according to the freedom of being loved and held by God. That's what baptism signifies for us, and that's what it marks our lives with. That you and I belong to God and God's family, not because we measure up, but because we are loved. We love because he first loved us, not the other way around. Baptism testifies against our vain attempts to live by what Tish Warren calls self-made belovedness. Because baptism says you are beloved first, not because of what you did to make yourself that way, but simply because God loved you first. In the gospel reading that we just read, we see Jesus getting into some conflict with the religious leaders about washing hands before eating. And believe it or not, that passage has a lot more to do with baptism than it does with CDC guidelines. Because the hand washing that's in view here isn't the soap and water practice that you and I hopefully do before eating as a means of germ control. Rather, it's a ceremonial washing with water in order to become ceremonially clean by way of ritual cleansing. There's not any like antimicrobial activity going on in this washing, only anti-sin activity that follows the guidelines of religious tradition. And so when the Pharisees, who are like the religious leaders of the day, they come to Jesus and they press him on why his disciples, why his followers are breaking the religious tradition by not following the proper hand-washing rituals for becoming ceremonially clean, Jesus flips the script. He flips the script on them and he asks why they think their ceremonial hand-washing is gonna cover all the ways that they dishonor God and other people. And Jesus, as we've seen him do many times, he just throws that wrecking ball right through the religiosity of all the religious people, doesn't he? With one simple question that exposes the bankruptcy of their religion, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of tradition? And then one simple statement that reveals the truth of God. It's not the food that you eat or the the rituals around your eating that make you unclean. What makes a person unclean is the harmful stuff they say and do toward other people. And Jesus rattles off a list of examples that probably makes us feel uncomfortable to hear those kinds of words uh, spoken or read aloud. But he rattles off a list of examples that the Pharisees would have immediately recognized as a recap of the Ten Commandments from the very law they're trying to use to disqualify Jesus and his disciples. And the point is just this. We need a washing that runs deeper through us than anything that you and I can do for ourselves. We need a washing that runs deeper through us than anything you and I can do for ourselves, right? Do you ever surprise yourself? (laughs) Like by saying something or doing something that's just like so mean or so explosive or selfish or degrading to another person, the kind of thought or word or action that seems to almost like erupt out of some polluted basement in your brain or your heart? Is it just me? (laughs) No? Yeah? Yes? 
That happens to you too? Good. Not good, but I feel like at least I'm in company. It's not good, that's the point, but it's common. Every single one of us knows what that's like, right? Every single one of us knows what it's like to encounter the ugly side of ourselves. We just don't know what to do with that all the time. And so what we do is we try to like compensate for that sort of stuff, right? We, we, we compensate with our own self-washing strategies. The things we do to like convince ourselves that, oh, that's not the real me, right? Oh, sure, I said a harsh word to my kids, but I'm not a harsh dad. I'm a loving dad. I'm a kind dad. That's not, the, that's not who I really am. Who I really am is the good stuff that I do, right? Or... I know, I, I completely ignored you when I knew you needed help. I even made up an excuse to get out of it that was totally a lie. But that's not who I really am. I really, I'm really a generous, honest person. I, I tell the truth frequently. <laughs> what does that song and dance sound like in your life? What are your self-washing strategies for either convincing yourself who you really are, convincing other people around you who you really are? What are those thoughts and words and actions that erupt out of you, that even challenge your idea of who you are? And then what do you do to compensate? What does your self-washing look like? What we discover in Jesus is both the futility of our own self-washing and also the overflowing abundance of the living water that God gives us in Jesus to cleanse our hearts and to quench our thirst for righteousness and that desire deep within us to not, for that to not be who I really am, right? Our thirst for righteousness, I wanna be good. And the living water that God gives us to irrigate that goodness that is in there, the seeds of righteousness planted that God waters to fruitfulness in our lives. We need a washing that runs deeper through us than anything we can do for ourselves. And that deeper washing is exactly what God has provided for us in Jesus, our Savior, and the Spirit, our Renewer. And that deeper washing is what baptism signifies for us and seals upon us. Baptism signals for us that ultimately we are not what we do or what we say or what we think for better or worse. That who I tell myself that I am, who I tell the world I am, that those declarations actually don't determine who I am because I'm a creature who belongs to a creator and my creator speaks a word over my life that is more powerful than my own. And what we see in baptism is that that word your creator speaks over you is beloved. That is who you are. Your father in heaven pronounces a word over you in his son and in his spirit, and that word over you is beloved. And everything that Jesus does in his life follows that pronouncement. Right? As we read the story of Jesus, we know very little of what happens in his life before his baptism. All the remarkable stuff we know about him healing and raising the dead and speaking truth to power and doing these acts that show forth God's kingdom of justice and peace in the world. He doesn't do those things to earn God's love. 
He loves because God first loved him. The love of God is pronounced upon him first. The spirit of God comes on him first, and then he is propelled into the world as Messiah. The same is true of you and of me. Tish Warren says that as as Christians, we wake up each morning as those who are baptized. We are united to Christ and the approval of the Father is spoken over us. We're marked from our first waking moment by an identity that is given to us by grace, an identity that is deeper and more real than any other identity we will don that day. And she goes on to say that the new life into which we are baptized is lived out in days, hours, and minutes. God is forming us into a new people, and the place of that transformation is in the small moments of today. The place of your transformation is in the small moments of today. The voices you hear and choose to listen to, the choices you make, the things you decide to do, the words you say or don't say, through all of it, will you hear the voice of the Father louder and clearer than all of the other voices saying, you are my child and you are loved. And will you go and live out of the freedom of that love? Rowan Williams in his beautiful little book called Being Christian frames his book around four chapters, baptism, Bible, Eucharist, and prayer. What does it mean to be a Christian? He keys in on those four concepts. And he says that a baptized Christian ought to be somebody who's not afraid of looking with honesty at that chaos inside, as well as being where humanity is at risk outside. So baptism means being with Jesus in the depths, the depths of human need, including the depths of our own selves and their need, but also in the depths of God's love in the depths where the spirit is recreating and refreshing human life as God meant it to be. In other words, baptism is about being with Jesus where Jesus is. And as you and I think about what does it mean to live out our baptism, to remember our baptism, to live as God's beloved in union and communion with Christ, William says it's going to look like us going to be where Jesus is in the mess of the world in the mess of our own stories and inner selves where his love is present and where he's healing us. Being present in the love of the Father, being present and open to other people, being open to the Holy Spirit, and Williams points out finally, being in the neighborhood of other Christians. That our baptism reminds us Christianity never has been and never will be a solo sport, but it's one that we do as a family. This family gathered around Christ. And this family, Williams reminds us, just like Jesus, is given this job of being prophet, priest, and king with Jesus in the world. Speaking the truth, interpreting God and humanity to one another, building bridges, freely engaging and shaping lives in our human environment in the direction of God's justice, showing in our relationships and engagement with the world something of God's own freedom and liberty to heal and restore all the while doing it as those needing it ourselves. So to close, I just want to offer a couple parting thoughts for those of us who in this room may not be baptized. For those of you who are not yet baptized, what do you do? Look, I remember coming to faith in Christ when I was 20, and about two years passed between then and the time that I was baptized. And I remember hesitating 
First, because I didn't really think about it much. I came to faith through a campus ministry, and we didn't do baptisms at the campus ministry. Those happened in the church. And so it just never occurred to me that this was like an important thing. Then as I did, did start to understand it, I realized it was more important. Then I started to get a little embarrassed that I hadn't done it already because like everybody else had done it. And even I was in a tradition where most people had been baptized when they were little kids or babies. But here I was, I was 22 and I hadn't ever been baptized. And so it just sort of felt awkward. Like, did I miss the boat? And eventually I had that conversation with a pastor where I just sort of voiced some of this stuff. And, um, and it was, I'm so glad I did because he was able to just say, oh, you have nothing to be embarrassed about. This is your journey. This is your timeline. God, this is, this is how, the way God is working in your life and it looks different one to the next. So come. But coming to be baptized is really about receiving Jesus on Jesus's own terms, right? Where he says, come to me. Receive the waters, be born again from above by the spirit and by baptism with water. Receive that mark of the family. And so I would just say to you, if you're here in the room and maybe you're like me, feeling like awkwardly old and unbaptized, don't feel awkwardly old and unbaptized. This is your story. Your story is beautiful and God's at work in your life according to the timeline of your own life. If you wanna be baptized, let's talk, let's make that happen. This is a beautiful thing. I would love to celebrate that with you. I'm wide open, I'd love to talk to you after the service. For those of you who are baptized, I would just encourage you thus to borrow these words from the Apostle Paul. As you received Christ, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith. Remember your baptism. Remember who you are. Remember whose love hangs over you. The banner you live beneath as a child of the Father and draw near to him. Rest in that love, be renewed in that love, be empowered by that love, be liberated by that love and go share it with your neighbor. Draw near to your Father and grow up in, into the fullness of who he made you to be. And recognize that your heavenly Father desires to show his love to your neighbor through you. And his delight is with you every step of the way. Not something for you to earn, something for you to receive and share with the world because he has first loved you. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen.